0: MSW Media. This episode is sponsored by Mudwater, a coffee alternative with four adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs. To get your free frother and free sample of coconut creamer and sweetener, go to mudwtr.comslash dailybeans.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll Beans Daily Beans
0: Daily, beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, October 9th, 2023. Today, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps helped plan and gave the green light to the Hamas attack on Israel, the worst attack since the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Twitter files analyst and alt-right blogger Michael Benz has been exposed. Trump's civil fraud trial will be allowed to continue again. Vivek Ramaswamy is a shady liar. A Florida family has been sentenced to federal prison for selling fake COVID cures, and some pretty cool science news. I'm Alison Gill. And
2: I'm Dana Goldberg.
0: Hey, Dana, how was your weekend? It's been wonderful. And from what I hear, you had a blast this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I went out for the first time in a long time. And if you're wondering why I'm losing my voice, it's because I was at San Diego's red dress party last night. And I must have went probably <laughs> 10 million times. Um, it's a, a party. It's a fundraiser for the center here, the LGBTQ plus center in San Diego. It is to raise awareness uh, and money for HIV AIDS and Everybody wears a red dress, and it was absolutely so much fun. There's pictures on my Twitter if you want to go see. I've even got a little video of me and Amanda Reeder dancing. So if you don't want to miss that, check out my uh, Twitter page. Uh, Yes, I still call it Twitter. Also, later in the show, David Rothkoff, author, host of Deep State Radio, Daily Beast contributor. He's going to be here to discuss the situation in Israel. I am not an expert, but let me assure you, I stand with Israel. Hamas needs to be defeated. I also stand with Palestinians living in the open-air prison that is Gaza, and I'm against the right-wing Netanyahu government that's currently working to dismantle democracy by attacking his judiciary, among other things. And it's possible to have all of those feelings and beliefs at one time. So I wanted to make my positions clear so no one's guessing where I stand during that interview. I hope that makes sense. I think it made perfect sense. And I think there's probably
2: a lot of people out there that feel the same way. I'm sort of disgusted by some of the way they're writing headlines where they're like 200 Jews have been killed and 400 Palestinians dead. Like there is something about the way people are wording things that I think is intentionally divisive. And, and it's unfortunate that even the mainstream media is being a part of this. So I think what you said is very clear. And I definitely feel the same way. This is a terrorist attack by a fringe
0: group. We have to remember that. Yep. And that's what the media does. They both sides things. They make everything a horse race. Um, and they do that to make you mad so that you engage so that they can sell advertising. So that's how it works. Um, we don't like to do that here where I live. All right, before we get to the hot notes, we have a couple quick hits. And to make a long story short, too late. All right, first up, an appeals court judge in New York has denied Donald Trump's motion to stay the New York Attorney General civil fraud case in New York. Um, This is the one that's currently underway. This is the second time he's asked for a stay here. He's been denied twice. But the court did agree to leave him in control of his assets for now. And um, that doesn't mean forever. It just means we're not going to start liquidating your shit until we either decide on this appeal or the trial is over. Uh, Pete and I will cover that this week on Clean Up on Isle 45. Also, don't forget to check out the latest episode of Jack that just came out. It's out there. It's one of my favorite episodes so far. So I hope you enjoy it. All right, A.G., and this one's from Politico. Republican presidential
2: candidate Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign claimed Thursday that protesters ran into their parked car at a campaign stop in Grinnell, Iowa. But local police later said that's not what really happened. Ramaswamy's car, with no one inside it, was struck by another car in a parking lot outside a coffee house. His campaign told Politico Thursday that two protesters hit Ramaswamy's car, but police say that the accident involved a driver unconnected to the protest. Well, and this is a quote, our investigation has revealed no evidence to substantiate the claim that protesters hit Ramaswamy's car on purpose and fled. That's what police said in a statement Thursday night. Instead, police say that a woman had eaten lunch at a deli backed out of a parking spot into the campaign's rented vehicle. A report was taken and the driver was released with a summons for unsafe backing. So clearly uh, that sounds much more realistic.
0: Wow. What a piece of shit. All right, we have have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, this is from the Wall Street Journal, everybody. Iranian security officials helped plan Hamas's Saturday surprise attack on Israel and gave the green light for the assault at a meeting in Beirut last Monday. That's according to senior members of Hamas and Hezbollah, which is another Iran-backed militant group. Officers of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps had worked with Hamas since August to devise the air, land and sea incursions, the most significant breach of Israel's border since the 1973 Yom Kippur War. Now, details of the operation were refined during several meetings in Beirut, attended by IRGC officers and representatives of four Iran-backed militant groups, including Hamas, which holds power in Gaza, and Hezbollah, a Shiite militant group and political faction in Lebanon. U.S. officials say they have not seen evidence of Tehran's involvement. In an interview with CNN that aired Sunday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said, we've not yet seen evidence that Iran directed or was behind this particular attack, but there is certainly a long relationship. Quote, we don't have any information at this time to corroborate this account. That's what a U.S. official said of the meetings when reached for comment. A European official and advisor to the Syrian government, however, gave the same account of Iran's involvement in the lead-up to the attack as the senior Hamas and Hezbollah members. Now, asked about the meetings, Mahmoud Murdawi, who's a senior Hamas official, said the group planned the attack on its own. Quote, this is a Palestinian and Hamas decision, he said. The Iranian delegation at the United Nations in New York didn't respond to requests for comment. Iran's Supreme Leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, has praised the attacks, saying in a post on Twitter, that, quote, the Zionist regime will be eradicated at the hands of the Palestinian people and the resistance forces throughout the region. Now, again, this is Hamas. Okay, this is a militant extremist group, but Iran's supreme leader is the one who made that quote. Now, a direct Iranian role would take Tehran's long-running conflict of Israel out of the shadows, raising the risk of broader conflict in the Middle East. Senior Israeli security officials have pledged to strike at Iran's leadership if Tehran is found responsible for killing Israelis. Now, the IRGC's broader plan is to create a multi-front threat, uh, Hezbollah and the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine in the North, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas in Gaza and the West Bank. That's according to senior Hamas and Hezbollah members and an Iranian official. So that is the plan. At least 700 Israelis have been confirmed dead, and Saturday's assault has punctured the country's aura of invincibility and left Israelis questioning how their vaunted security forces could let this happen. That's what I'm going to talk with David Rothkopf about in a little bit. Now, Israel has blamed Iran, saying it's behind the attacks, if indirectly. We know there were meetings in Syria and Lebanon with other leaders of the terror armies that surround Israel, so obviously it's easy to understand that they tried to coordinate. The proxies of Iran in our region, they tried to be coordinated as much as possible with Iran. That's Israeli's ambassador to the UN, and that's what's what they said on Sunday. Now, Hamas has publicly acknowledged receiving support from Iran. And on Sunday, Iranian President Ibrahim Rahisi talked to Palestinian Islamic Jihad leader Ziad al-Nakala and Hamas chief Ishmael Haniyeh. And I'm not I don't know if I'm pronouncing those correctly. Iran has been setting aside other regional conflicts such as its open feud with Saudi Arabia and Yemen to devote the IRGC's foreign resources toward coordinating, financing and arming militias antagonistic to Israel, including Hamas and Hezbollah. That's what the senior Hamas and Hezbollah members said. Remember, all this is coming from senior Hamas and Hezbollah officials. Now, the U.S. and Israel have designated Hamas and Hezbollah terrorist organizations. The strike was intended to hit Israel while it appeared distracted by internal political divisions over Netanyahu's government. It was also aimed at disrupting accelerating U.S.-brokered talks to normalize relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel that Iran saw as threatening. That's, again, the senior Hamas and Hezbollah members. Building on peace deals with Egypt and Jordan, expanding Israeli ties with Gulf Arab states could create a chain of American allies linking three key choke points of global trade. The Suez Canal, the Strait of Hormuz, and the Bab al-Mandeb connecting the Red Sea to the Arabian Sea. Um, That's what Hussein Ibish, senior resident scholar at the Arab Gulf States Institute in Washington, says. Quote, that's very bad news for Iran. If they could do this, the strategic map changes dramatically to Iran's detriment. Now, leading the effort to wrangle Iran's foreign proxies under a unified command has been Ismail Khani, the leader of the IRGC's international military arm called the Quds Force. Now, Connie launched a coordination among several militias surrounding Israel in April during that meeting in Lebanon, where Hamas began working more closely with other groups such as Hezbollah for the first time. And around that time, Palestinian groups started a rare set of limited strikes on Israel from Lebanon and Gaza under the direction of Iran. That's according to Iranian officials. And quote, it was a roaring success, they said. Iran has long backed Hamas, but as a Sunni Muslim group, It had been an outsider among Tehran Shia proxies until recent months when cooperation among the groups accelerated. Representatives of these groups have met with the Quds force leaders at least biweekly in Lemonade since August to discuss this week's attack on Israel and what happens next. Kani has attended some of those meetings along with Hezbollah's leader, um, Islamic Jihad leaders and Hamas's military chief. Now, Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Amir abdel has attended at least two of these meetings, according to the people. And the Iranian official said that if Iran were attacked, it would respond with missile strikes on Israel from Lebanon, Yemen and Iran and send Iranian fighters to Israel from Syria to attack cities in the north and in the east of Israel. So that is what the reporting is from those leaders of Hamas and Hezbollah speaking to the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, these sources. Thank you, A.G. And I
2: just want to point out, you're going to hear a lot of bullshit on the right wing that like NRA Barbie, Lauren Boebert, who's like, see what happens when you give Iran six billion dollars. There's some very key points that need to be discussed. One, the U.S. didn't just give Iran $6 billion. One, it hasn't even been released back to Iran. And there was very specific stipulations with the prisoner swap that it needed to be used for humanitarian relief, food, medical. So this has nothing to do with it. So all of that bullshit and noise you hear on the right side, just make sure you zone it out.
0: Yeah, or call it out as disinformation because that's what it is. And, you know, it, it's not even U.S. money. The six billion was Iranian money from Iranian exactly. oil sales from an account that Donald Trump set up in South Korea so that Iran could continue to sell its oil. Yes. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. AG. Let's not let's not forget. Uh, yeah. And you're right. All of that is still sitting in a bank in Doha in Qatar. It hasn't even been released and not a penny has been spent on the medicine or food or aid that is supposed to go to Iran. So, yeah, yeah thank you for, for for reminding me about oh, that and pointing I, that out. Too. Yeah. And for adding to it. You always have
2: more to it, which which makes me incredibly happy. All right. This is from NBC. Michael Benz, a former Trump State Department official, whose work has been cited in congressional hearings and promoted by Elon Musk—that should be a fucking red flag right there—has become a go-to voice for Republican criticism of government and social media censorship in the past year. But before his stints in government and as a pundit, Benz appears to have been a a pseudo-anonymous alt-right content creator who courted and interacted with white nationalists and posted videos espousing racist conspiracy theories. That's according to recordings, live streams, and blog posts reviewed by NBC News. The pseudonym, which is Frame Game, posted videos and participated in podcasts and live streams during the rise of the alt-right following Donald Trump's election. Frame Game avoided showing his face in his videos or appearances during which he pushed a variant of far-right narratives, including the Great Replacement Theory, you know, Jews will not replace us, yep, that posits the white race is being eradicated in America for politics and profits. In others, Frame Game said he was a white identitarian, railed against the idea of diversity and made montages urging white viewers to unite under a banner of race. Fine, upstanding fucking guy. Mm. Now, in interviews with white nationalists, Frame Game blamed Jews for controlling the media and for the the decline of the white race. And this is a quote. If you were to remove the Jewish influence on the West, he said in one video, white people would not face the threat of white genocide that they currently do. Very fucking... It's just... it's, it's, It's awful. It's awful stuff coming out of him. Frame Game stopped posting in 2018. Now, a review of his content revealed various details that match Benz's appearance in life story. Benz, in his public posts and appearances, has not espoused the same racist views as Frame Game. And not surprising, that's why you use a fucking pseudonym, so you can say all the things you actually think. Well, Frame Game went to some lengths to conceal his identity, but inadvertently slips during several live streams, in which he would often visit web pages and toggle between browser tabs. All of that can be traced, betraying basically his anonymity. In one video, Frame Game brought up a website that automatically pulled a Facebook profile picture into its comments section. The picture appeared to be Ben's with his then-wife. In other videos, as Frame Game toggles Windows, he displayed a web browser that showed the username Mike. In another instance, a profile page showed him signed into a browser as Michael. And in one instance, Mike can be seen in browser alongside a separate browser window that logged into Twitter displaying Frame Game's avatar as a person in a green hoodie. So not is he only a fucker, he's also really dumb. <laughs> he's not very good at this. Now, reached by phone, Benz declines to speak to a reporter saying he was very busy. I'm sure he was trying to close his browser history. When asked if he had a comment on previous writings as Frame Game, Ben's hung up on him or them, excuse me, I don't know if the reporter, the gender of the reporter. He did not respond to voice messages and text messages with a detailed list of questions. Hours after publication on Friday, Benz posted a lengthy statement confirming his connection to Frame Game account. He said the account was a covert effort intended to somehow combat, combat the anti-Semitism it espoused. What the fuck? And this is a quote. The account in question was a project by Jews... To get people who hated Jews to stop hating Jews, he wrote. Well, that in and of itself, you can sound as bullshit because it makes no sense. Let me be clear. I'm extremely proud of this. I'm sure you are. Benz and his organization were also cited in reports and witness testimony from the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, led by Jim Jordan, as well as the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. Benz also amplified the Twitter files, all that shit that Elon Musk was re-Xing, whatever you call it. So those documents released by Musk that revealed internal debates about content moderation and communications with outside organizations, governments, journalists, and researchers. Now, for months, in videos and threads posted to Twitter... Benz has framed those internal debates as grand conspiracies and aligned the academic researchers and institutions involved as government spies and plants. Mm-hmm. Like this guy's fucking gaslighting all over the place. Frame game was prompted by alt-right leaders, including Richard Spencer. Yep. Who led torch carrying white nationalists in Charlottesville. We all remember that. That was in Virginia in 2017 and has appeared often on podcasts of white supremacists, including Patrick Casey of the group then known as Identity Europa.
0: I think it's supposed to be Europa, but the V is a U because they're dumb.
2: (laughs) Thank you for that. At least it wasn't me this time. Okay, Identity Europa, which helped plan the deadly Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville on Canadian white supremacist Jean-Francois Gérapil. Sure. Yeah, his podcast, Frame Game, discusses views that whites are being systematically replaced by non-whites, which he claimed Jews were responsible for. And this is a quote. If, if I, a Jew, a member of the tribe, Hebrew schooled, can read Mein Kampf and think, holy shit, Hitler actually had some decent points, then no one is safe from hating you once they find out who is behind the white genocide happening all over the world. That's what he wrote in another post. The guy is nuts. <laughs> Benz has gotten the attention of Musk, too. Now, the billionaire, who we know owns the X platform, has publicly replied to some of Ben's posts on the platform. Ben's, at one point, he tweeted about the leader of X's team meant to deal with disinformation and election integrity, claiming that they were trying to rig election discourse on X which is, you know, one of those things that like the lady does protest too much because, you know, that's why X is trying to be destroyed, by the way. Mm -hmm. Now that person and others on the team were later fired with Musk posting that the team was, and I quote, undermining election integrity. I just a big go fuck yourself to all of these guys that are involved in this whole story.
0: Yeah. And thanks to the Sparrow Project for doing most of the research for NBC on this. Um, I don't think that she's uh, that that account is mentioned in here, but um Sparrow Project has been looking into this for months, so uh, good job. All right. Next up from ABC, members of a Florida family who claimed they had a miracle cure for COVID-19 that contained a toxic bleach were sentenced to federal prison on Friday. Mark Grenon, 66, and his three sons, Jonathan, Jordan, and Joseph, were found guilty of conspiracy to defraud the United States by distributing an unapproved and misbranded drug. His kids, by the way, are 37, 29, and 36. The federal jury also found Jonathan and Jordan Grenon guilty of contempt of court following a trial this summer. Jonathan and Jordan were sentenced to 151 months, 12 and a half years in federal prison, while Mark and Joseph were sentenced to five years. Federal prosecutors said the men manufactured, produced and sold a dangerous product they claimed would cure COVID-19. Their, quote, Miracle Mineral Solution, or MMS, was sold under the guise of the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing according to prosecutors. Now, MMS contains sodium chloride and water, which, when ingested orally, became chlorine dioxide, a powerful bleach typically used in industrial water treatment or bleaching textiles, pulp and paper. That's what the DOJ said. During the trial, prosecutors showed the jury photos of a video of a shed in Jonathan Grennan's backyard in Bradenton, Bradenton, Florida, maybe, that had dozens of blue chemical drums containing nearly 10,000 pounds of sodium chloride powder with labels warning the product was toxic and harmful if swallowed. It turns into bleach when you swallow it. The Grenon sold MMS through the United States and before marketing it as a COVID-19 cure, claimed it would cure other diseases and disorders, including leukemia, HIV, diabetes, Alzheimer's. And federal prosecutors uh, added that MMS was not approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to treat COVID-19 or any other use the DOJ said. Yeah, I would hope so if it kills you. Since 2010, the FDA has warned customers not to purchase or use MMS since 2010, and that drinking it could cause severe reactions. The FDA has received reports of consumers who have suffered from severe vomiting, severe diarrhea, life-threatening low blood pressure caused by dehydration and acute liver failure after drinking these products. In some cases, people developed life-threatening conditions and even died drinking MMS. The Church, co-founded by Mark Grenon, was not affiliated with any religion. Mark Grenade repeatedly acknowledged that he founded Genesis to legalize MMS and avoid going to jail. The Grenons received more than a million dollars selling this shit, which could only be acquired by donating to the church, according to the DOJ. Jonathan and Jordan Grenon's contempt of court charges stemmed from a civil case the DOJ filed over MMS. The federal government sued the defendants in Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing to halt their distribution, with uh, the brothers willfully violated, by the way. So they were ordered to stop and they willfully violated that. And then the charges happened. Now, during the civil trial, Dana, the two threatened to take up arms against the presiding judge and promised another Waco. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like, all right, fellas, enjoy your five and 12 and a half years in prison. And yeah. we, normally, normally, Dana, we don't cover science on this show. But this was too amazing to pass up, and it's your home state, so take it away.
2: I love it. This is from CBS. Scientists have confirmed that fossilized footprints found in New Mexico are between 21,000 and 23,000 years old, meaning humans existed in North America much earlier than previously believed. So this is really going to fuck up Laura, like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who don't believe in evolution, only because they've never evolved. Now, the original study about footprints discovered embedded in the ground of White Sands National Park. If you haven't been, by the way, it's absolutely phenomenal. You should go. They were found embedded in the ground of White Sands National Park in New Mexico. It was published in September of 2021, sparking conversations with some questioning the accuracy of the findings. It was believed. Humans existed in North America somewhere between 13,500 and 16,000 years ago. So were the prints, some of which looked distinctly human with five toes, really between 21,000 and 23,000 years old? Well, researchers from the U.S. Geological Survey and other scientists decided to do a follow-up study using two new approaches to determine the age of the prints. And this is a quote. The immediate reaction in some circles of the archaeological community was that the accuracy of our dating was insufficient to making the extraordinary claim that humans were present in North America during the last glacial maximum. This is from co-author of the new study. This is Jeff Pagatti, a USGS research geologist. And he went on to say, but our targeted methodology and this current research really paid off. The scientists initially used seeds from the rupiah serosa plant found in fossils. I'm sure there is someone out there that knows if I just mispronounced that because you guys are fucking smart. Now, they use radiocarbon dating to determine the age of the seeds, but because the plants are aquatic and can hold carbon from the water instead of the air, the age estimate could have been off. So in a new study, they used radiocarbon dating on conifer pollen, which comes from plants on the earth that were found in the same layers as those seeds. And this is again a quote, even as the original work was being published, we were forging ahead to test our results with multiple lines of evidence. This is from the co-author of this study, Kathleen Springer, a USGS research geologist. And she went on to say, we were confident in our original ages, as well as the strong geologic, hydrologic, and stratigraphic evidence. But we knew that independent chronological control was critical. The researchers had to isolate a whopping 75,000 pollen grains from the same layer and found that their age was statistically identical to the rupia serosa plant. Now, to further check their dating, they also tested quartz grains found in the footprints using a different dating process, uh, optically stimulated luminescence. They found the quartz had a minimum age of about 21,500 years. Mm. USGS says that with three cooperating pieces of evidence, it is unlikely the age range of 21,000 to 23,000 years is incorrect.
0: Mm. It's unlikely that they are wrong. Yeah, three, uh, three corroborating um, data sets, triangulation. I, I had used that in my doctoral dissertation. Of course, one of my data sets was corrupt. So my entire <laughs> fucking dissertation was, uh, I don't know. It's pretty, Oh well, there we you don't go. know.
2: Yeah, and you still got your PhD, so there you have it. Now yeah. footprints have been found at White Sands before, and this is according to National Park Service. After first finding footprints in a lake bed in 2006, scientists later dug them up and found both human and sloth footprints. They later found dire wolf prints and dated those 18,000 years by using ancient seeds found nearby. They also found footprints of a female and a toddler in 2018. Not a happy part of that story. This
0: is cute, though. Let's check this out.
2: Okay. In 2018, researchers discovered what they believed to be footprints of a female. They tell a story that seemed familiar today. Oh, her footprints show her walking for almost a mile, with a toddler's footprints occasionally showing up beside her. Evidence suggests that she carried the child, shifting them from side to side and occasionally setting the child down as they walked. The footprints broadened and slipped in the mud as a result of additional weight she was carrying. Isn't that cute? It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. The 2001 study found the footprints mainly belong to teens and children, which may be due to a division of labor with teens performing, and I quote, fetching and carrying tasks and children accompanying them. It's all just fascinating. And seriously, if you've never been to White Sands, New Mexico, I don't know if you like to Google places before you go, because some people, they feel like it ruins it if they see it in photos. It is a natural phenomenon that is unbelievable and go on a full moon because it's like you are looking at snow in the middle
0: Ooh. of New Mexico in this vast desert. It's unbelievable. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you for that report. And I, I, again, I, we normally don't report on science, but I couldn't pass that one up. That's a pretty significant finding. Um, double the age, it doubles the age, uh, the, the length that humans, the first known humans, uh, were in North America. So, anyway. Thank you very much, everybody. We have some good news to get to, but we have to take a quick break. And I'm also going to be talking to DJ Rothkopf, David Rothkopf, host of Deep State Radio, before we get to the good news right after this break. Stick around. We'll be right back.
3: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: Hey, everybody. It's AG. It's time to meet Mudwater, a coffee alternative formulated specifically for health-conscious individuals. Mudwater does this using a unique blend of ingredients featuring four functional mushrooms, including the notable rise cacao flavor. With only a fraction of the caffeine found in coffee, Mudwater offers a subtle natural energy boost without the undesirable jitters or the energy crash, typical of regular coffee consumption. It combines cacao and chai, for mood enhancement, and a hint of caffeine, creating a taste that's similar to hot chocolate. It's really yummy. It has lion's mane to support focus, while cordyceps contribute to your natural energy levels. Chaga and reishi, on the other hand, are good for the immune system support, and everything about mud water is designed to make your day and wellness better. Mud water also adheres to the most stringent quality standards. It's Whole30 Approved. USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified without any added sugars or artificial sweeteners. They went all out. I recently received the Mudwater Morning Ritual Starter Kit. The cacao blend provided in the kit tastes like an exquisite masala chai cacao fusion. It's amazing. It's so good. It delivered a gentle yet effective energy boost without the jitters and the crash later. I absolutely love it. It also comes with a USB rechargeable frother. And a guidebook, making it even easier to use and enjoy. So if you're contemplating a switch from coffee, this starter kit is the perfect place to start. To get your free frother and free samples of coconut creamer and sweetener, go to mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash daily beans. That's free samples and a frother when you go to M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash daily beans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by a friend of mine who knows a lot more about this than I do. He is uh, the host of Deep State Radio, which is an incredible program you need to listen to if you don't already. He's sometimes an MSNBC contributor, and he writes for The Daily Beast. Please welcome David Rothkopf. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? I'm good today. Well, first of all, again, you know so much more about this region of the world. You know, I'm over here focusing mostly on justice politics and justice news. But you you also penned a piece for the Daily Beast called Hapless Netanyahu was totally unprepared for attack. So, can you talk a little bit about this piece that you wrote and and what you can tell us about what's going on in the Middle East right now?
1: Sure. Uh, You know, The point I wanted to make in the piece was that what we are seeing unfold now in uh, Israel and in the Palestinian territories, although it seems familiar, is different from things that have happened in the past. And one of the reasons it's different is that Hamas undertook an operation of much greater scale and complexity than they've ever been able to undertake in the past. But another reason it's different is that this certainly represents the biggest intelligence failure by the Israelis and by their allies, and I think that includes us, in at least, say, 50 years since the Yom Kippur War, possibly longer, because this was more predictable, and yet the preparations for it were not made. I, You know, I, I think where we have to begin, though, uh, is more people, you know, more Jews died in Israel yesterday than died in any single day since the Holocaust. It is an absolutely uh, horrific scene there. Um, uh, Most of the people who died, and right now the number is between 7 and 800, but it's going to grow, and thousands injured, most of the people were civilians. 260 of them were people going to a music concert not too far from the Gaza border, uh, just kids. Uh, We have hostage crises coming out of this thing. But essentially, people's mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and children and grandmothers died. And while I think it's very important that we talk about why did this happen, why did it happen now, what went wrong, and where does it go, I think the place you have to begin is with the human side of it, which is catastrophic. Um, I think we also have to acknowledge that you know Benjamin Netanyahu then said well we're going to go into Gaza we're going to make it rubble and you know people in Gaza should leave well this was a profoundly uh, cynical thing to say
0: mm-hmm. they can't
1: leave they can't right. leave. right exactly they
0: call it, it's considered a, an open air prison for all intents and purposes right
1: and it's the most densely populated area on the planet earth with terrible infrastructure. And if there is a terrorist, the terrorist is always next to, and partially by design, always next to civilians in some way or another. And so what we're going to see is carnage followed by carnage.
0: Yeah, it almost felt to me like they were trying to uh, forgive themselves for what they were about to do, or what they are about to do. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, well, we told you to leave.
1: Um, like that's somehow Well, I I think to some extent that's the case, but, you know, the Israelis have a history that, you know, when one Israeli dies, a multiple, a high multiple number of Palestinians die and they value Israeli lives higher than they value Palestinian lives. And, you know, I don't, again, if we're going to do a thoughtful analysis of this and we're not going to let the terrorists off the hook and we believe that they should be brought to justice and, and... and we do want to, you know, protect, you know, innocent people in each of these countries. You have to go back and say, you know, to what extent to the conditions in Gaza, to what extent does the cycle of pain in this part of the world, to what extent does this extreme right wing administration in Israel contribute to this situation? And um, you know, I, I would add. Because, you know, I've I've brought these things up and some people are like, well, how dare you suggest there's moral equivalency? And I'm like, well, I'm not suggesting there's moral equivalency. A terrorist does not not do anything defensible. But one of the other things that made what happened in Israel different uh, yesterday was that almost immediately, Israeli generals, senior Israeli political leaders came out and said, this is because of this administration. They dropped the ball. They were focused on, you know, annexing uh, territory in the in the, in the West Bank. They were focused on these extreme policies. They were focused on undermining democracy in Israel, and they didn't focus on the security of the country as they should have. Um, and I've never seen that. I've never seen in watching what's going on in Israel for decades and decades the kind of instantaneous outrage at the government for the role that it played in creating the conditions for yesterday's horrific events.
0: Well, this is, I mean, this is, Hamas did this. Right. Right. I mean, we need, I mean, we do need to be clear, right? That, that. Absolutely. It's absolutely, uh, horrific and awful. And that Hamas did this, but What, like, what's the answer, I guess? Because to me, killing civilians is not the answer. And the government, as well as our own, uh, like you said, was very, was caught off guard. Like, what's the answer?
1: Well, look, if I knew what the answer was, um, if anybody knew what the answer was, this problem wouldn't have been going on for the past um, 80 years. There has to be a response, right? Though there has to be a response. Oh, no, no, no. And I think the Israeli response will be to go in and try to destroy Hamas, uh, try to decapitate its leadership, try to gut its ability to wage future such attacks. And I think that in order to do that in an environment like Gaza, there has to be an acceptance that there will be a certain degree of collateral uh, damage. And of course, the question is going to become one of degree. Uh, have they taken sufficient care? um are they are they going about their military objectives in a way that is sufficiently responsive to civilian needs and is there any movement whatsoever to produce the kind of long-term solution to this that you are you know mentioning and of course the only real long-term solution for this is that the palestinians have their own state two state solution right yeah. and and i remember
0: jared saying he had Sussed it out. He had figured it out. He has created peace uh, in the Middle East, and then he, uh, of course, they didn't invite the Palestinians to the table at all for those talks, if I remember correctly.
1: Well, I think that's true, and I think another, you know, contributing factor to what we saw here is that there was an ongoing discussion between the Israelis and the Saudis and the United States about creating what were called a called a normalization agreement, and. Uh, It was thought by some of the U.S. people negotiating for it that perhaps the Israelis would want this enough that they would make some concessions and treat the Palestinians better. Perhaps the Saudis would want this enough that they would demand that uh, as a condition of the agreement. And I think it was quite clear as of, you know, two days ago, that the agreement that was likely to be struck would actually not include such concessions, and the Saudis would not be fighting actively on behalf of the Palestinians. And I think there was a concern on the part of many yeah, um, among the Palestinians, but also, frankly, people who are interested in peace in the region, that that was not going to be handled um, in, a, in a way that would make peace more likely. Uh, and frankly, of course, you know the Iranians, which you know or sort of you know hamas as a proxy for iran uh, also saw that deal as somewhat threatening and that may have been among the many motivations for uh this attack and as i say and as you said before I want to be very careful to say while there may have been motivations there are no justifications
0: right and of course republicans maga right wing is they're all blaming uh joe biden uh, for this attack, that it's his fault, and or A- Antony Blinken, somehow it's his fault. And of course, we're, we're seeing the massive disinformation, even all the way up to Fox News, the lie that the six billion dollars that in aid of Iran's own money that we gave to Iran somehow in the last couple of weeks has been turned into cash that has been turned into weapons that were given to Hamas to take, carry out this attack. Um, and I, everybody I know has been pushing back vigorously uh, on that lie. But I mean, have you seen? Have you seen that? Uh, those attacks? No, no,
1: I've, I've seen it, and and of course it's it's a lie, and it's demonstrable that it's a lie because none of that money has actually been distributed as of yet. It remains in a Qatari bank account. When, once it does get distributed, the conditions for its release involve monitoring and it only being used for humanitarian purposes. Uh, But I I do think that the way the media has handled those lies um, has been, once again, appalling. Because even on uh, supposedly objective or progressive media, you've heard people saying, well, what about this? And isn't this true? And they keep bringing it up over and over again. And it's just one of those things. It's just not true. It's like saying the earth is flat. It's not true. And it's not something to be uh discussed. And I, I, I would say, by the way, with credit to uh people who deserve credit, Jennifer Griffin of Fox News, who's their Pentagon correspondent, got on the air at Fox News and said, this isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, i give her I give her credit for that. But, you know, the 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 reality is that the Republican right in the United States, particularly when it comes to uh issues of national security, but frankly, on virtually all issues. They are not serious people. They believe that uh, lying is justified in every circumstance. They don't care to know what's really going on. And, you know, blaming Joe Biden for this is like blaming Joe Biden for the Aurora Borealis. It has nothing to do with it.
0: Yeah. And I see um, all sorts. Rick Grinnell, I mean, what was he? Intelligence?
1: like? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't use the word intelligence in, in regard to Rick Grinnell. No, 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 me neither. But it wasn't his but job yes, title. He was the acting director of national intelligence mm-hmm. in, in the United States. He was the ambassador to Germany. And he was one of the people that was appointed by Trump, not because they had expertise, not because they offered good judgment, but because they were blindly loyal to Trump.
0: Do you think that the GOP chaos, the fact that we don't have a Speaker of the House, the fact that we haven't promoted over 300 of our flag officers, the fact that we still haven't filled one of our Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, vacancies, all of that chaos and the fact that the CR that we just passed stripped the funding for Ukraine. I mean, it's it seems it's hard for me to believe that these kinds of Operations, these these sorts of attacks in the name of tyranny, uh, happen coincidentally. Uh, it seemed like uh, uh, the timing might have something, might might have some bearing. And now all all eyes on you know China and Taiwan.
1: It, look, the MAGA Republican Party supports our enemies and undercuts our national security. They they do it when they support insurrectionists. They do it when they defend the theft of vital national secrets by a former president and apparently uh, the distribution of those vital national secrets around Mar-a-Lago like they were plates of appetizers. Um, They uh, do it when they uh, choose to defend Putin to call the war in Ukraine a regional conflict. And of course, most um, egregiously, they do it when they say, yeah, no, we're not going to fund Ukraine, which is the biggest bargain that we've ever seen in the history of national security, where literally a few tens of billions of dollars have um, reduced Russian military capacity by half. Uh, But it is also, more importantly, vital that we stand up to Russia there because if we don't, we will have this problem in NATO countries very soon. And our NATO obligations require that we then get involved with boots on the ground in each of those cases. And they don't care. They don't care about democracy. They don't care about our allies. They don't care about the security of Americans. They don't care about the lives of Americans in the military. I mean, look at look at how Trump spoke about wounded veterans. Uh, or 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 veterans who died in the line of duty, um, they don't care. What do they care about? They care about power. They care about getting elected, and they will say anything and do anything at the expense of everything in the United states to 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 advance that. And it's horrific,
0: yeah. And I feel like um the defeat of Putin would severely negatively impact groups like Hamas.
1: It it, it definitely would. And I think that's an important point to make. Putin's been out there essentially being, like the Republicans, a chaos actor, where he believes that if there is disorder and if international institutions are weakened, it strengthens him. Just like MAGA believes that if there is disorder and division in the U.S. and our institutions are weakened, that creates an opportunity for them.
0: Yeah. And despite the far right wing government in Israel right now, they are they are a democracy. Um, and so for the moment,
1: know. for the, for for the, the moment. moment, they are. And and for I think, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the MAGA position on that is we don't care if they're a democracy. Uh, and that's dangerous, too. That's better for them if they're not. Right. And it's consistent with the ongoing global movement of right wing authoritarians that extends from Putin. To Netanyahu, to Modi in India, to Orbán in Hungary, uh, it extended to Bolsonaro in Brazil. It extends to Trump in the United States, uh, and Xi Jinping in Beijing. And in, in, you know, we have to recognize that that movement is gaining ground. It gained ground in uh, Slovakia um, uh, a, a couple weeks ago, and uh, getting stronger. And every time it does. It puts democracy and the fundamental freedoms in which we believe at risk. And that's not melodrama. You know, it sounds like melodrama, right?
0: No, it's not. And that front line is being, the front line right now is Ukraine. So that's right. And of course, you know, we, of course we support uh, Israel and we'll give them whatever they need, but I don't think they need as much from us as as someone like Ukraine. I mean, and I say that because we've been giving them, I mean, the, the amount of aid that we've sent to Israel in the past is, is gigantic.
1: Yeah, of course. And 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 the reality is, should, should we support Israel and in defending itself? Sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but why do we do it? We do it because it's in our interest, because we want peace and stability in the region. So we also support them doing it in a way that promotes peace and stability. But when we're evaluating what the risks we face are, it's not the risk Nikki Haley was talking about just yesterday of well, Palestinians could come across the border in the south and infiltrate our country. they could do this right here, which isn't going to happen isn't true It's complete bullshit is what they were saying all along in the wake of nine eleven didn't happen um doesn't happen because it's very, very hard thing to do or you know we can we can uh, you know take that uh sort of mirage of a threat or we can deal with a real threat Russia. Has more nuclear warheads than any other country in the world. They're in an alliance with China. They seek to undermine us at every turn. They have publicly threatened um, our NATO allies to invade other countries to use nuclear weapons. Um, mm-hmm. They're a real threat, and to to be weak against the real threat uh, and to give you know rhetorical support in support of a, a you know a fake threat. Is, is to me the definition of not being serious.
0: Agreed. Thank you so much for taking time uh, to speak with us today. The piece, everybody, is uh, in the Daily Beast. You can find it by uh, Googling David Rothkopf. Hapless Netanyahu was totally unprepared for attack. Uh, and, and do yourself a favor, download, subscribe to, listen to Deep State Radio. It's an excellent podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, AJ. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play What the Mutt, Find the Cat... Um if, hey you know what I'd like I'd like to know what your thesis title was or what you did your dissertation on <laughs> because mine is pretty stupid and I hate it <laughs> But I'm interested in whatever what everybody else had to do theirs on. Uh, if you want to give a shout out to yourself, a shout out to um, your parents, a loved one, a spouse, a, a b- small business in your community, your business, anything you want to shout out, you can send it to us as well. Just go to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right. First up from Daryl, pronounce he and him. Hi, AG and DG. I have a correction. The town in New Jersey is pronounced Bagoda, like Abe Vagoda. I knew it wasn't both. It had to be different, right? Right. It's never as easy for us. Bagoda. Love you both and thanks for all you do. Attaches a picture of my 84-year-old mom one year after her third heart surgery and rehab. She is also a breast cancer survivor and tough as iron. Hell yeah. yeah. Thanks for sending that in and thanks for the correction. Bagoda. Good to know. Like, like Bagoda. I will remember that.
2: Amazing. All right. This is from Lady o the Farm. Pronouns she and her. Hello, love beans. My family had had a rough go last several years, which has turned into a fight for access to an education for high-risk kids in a high-risk family when the local public school is full of sick kids and staff made even more dangerous by the lack of functioning ventilation system. I basically spent the last three years having to explain to people that an impossible situation occurred and now my family faces the painful reality of knowing that 50% of us will likely be dead or dying within the next 20 years. I need folks around my family to take action to help us keep those odds from getting worse. Most refuse. But we had a couple of moments of brighter light this week that might lead to help so I can wave a piece of paper and not have to plead with people, at least sometimes. Now I'm bragging on myself here because this has been an incredibly frustrating, painful and difficult road and I'm trudging it with my three girls and an amazing husband and brief hugs from internet friends. Every hand helps. Thanks all. I'm trying to take this glimmer of hope and rest in in it for a moment. So, in support of the moments of happiness, want to play Who's the Moo? Opine on the bovine? (laughs) (laughs) That made me laugh. I think it might have been a producer note. So, if that was Kanai, well done. (laughs) We're going to opine on a bovine. This was my first cow named Miss Maggie Moo. I bought her. I brought her home. She came with a grumpy pet sheep with, with a deeper bah than Maggie's moo. She gave delicious golden milk, and I used to nap on her in the sun of our pastor in Colorado. She Aww. also gave everyone kisses with her giant soggy nose. She's always been my heart cow, only one breed, and I gave hints. Just so you know, that last paragraph felt like a weird Mad Lib where I was just filling in nouns and verbs and adjectives like that yeah. were thrown at me.
0: Uh, let's see. How about a golden heart pasture cow? If those were your hints, <laughs> let's see what the what Miss
2: Maggie if is this a golden comes fit with golden heart pasture cow. I'm gonna sign off because I don't even know what the hell you just
0: did. <laughs> well, in her hints, there golden milk used okay. to nap on her in the pasture. She's my heart cow, um, so that's why I said golden heart, heart pasture cow. cow. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What we get is Miss Maggie Moo was a golden Guern... Guern Guernsey? Guernsey? Guernsey. Ah, they have rich golden milk from the extra beta carotene and cream that they put in their milk due to how the process they process grass. It's super sweet and part of why some places color butter and other dairy yellow is to copy the look of Guernsey products. Oh, wow. Oh. The okay, more well now, you know. Now I got the golden in there. But uh, Golden jersey. Well now I know a cow breed. Thank you for that.
2: <laughs> you all have lost your minds if you're like, all right, let's play Guess the Cow. Like, I feel like <laughs> this game's going to get out of control for us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, what? No. But, yeah. <laughs> ferret the ferret. Like, I don't, are there breeds of ferrets? I don't know. I mean, there has to be breeds of ferrets. There can't just be one breed of
2: ferret. <laughs> Maybe.
0: I don't know. Oh my I've God. never been to a ferret show. so That's true. All right. From Gabe, pronouns he and him. Hi, beanies. Is that allowed? Uh, in 2020, I helped found a nonprofit called Poster, P-A-W-S-T-E-R, Nashville, Poster Nashville, to care for people's pets when they're in crisis. What a cool idea. Three years ago, last week, we took in our first cat, a little tabby named Kimora, whose owner worked as a tech for a hospital that transferred him out west to serve on the front lines of the pandemic. While transitioning, he had nowhere for Kimora to stay, so a volunteer foster stepped up to care for her. She signed up to foster because her family had a similar experience when she was a kid, and her father was stationed overseas. After several months, Kimora was finally able to go home to her owner, and foster was well into our first year. Here's to many more years for helping pets like Kimura and their families. Pet tax is Kimura after she's reunited with her owner. Oh... Beautiful. So sweet. That's a good looking human too. What a wonderful idea. If you can go give some help to Poster, P-A-W-S-T-E-R, Poster Nashville. What a great thing you're doing for people. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. All right. This is from Sarah pronounced she and her dearest A.G.D.G. and citizens of Legume Nation. After the 2016 disaster, and I know what you're referring to, Sarah, I repeatedly cross paths with an activist who blew my mind with her political savvy, her astonishing energy and her delightful personality. I hear her speak at various workshops and think, damn, I wish she would run for office. My good news is that my friend, Sue Altman, is indeed running for U.S. House in New Jersey's 7th Congressional District. Woo-hoo. The seat is now held by a first-term Republican who is not one of the wackadoodles. Sue, who spent years as an educator, is taking a leap from her job leading the nonprofit New Jersey Working Families to seek the seat. Any pickup opportunity for the Dems is a promising story in its own right. But the res- excuse me, the prospect of replacing the incumbent with someone of Sue's caliber makes me positively giddy. This article provides a nice introduction to Sue, and there's going to be this link in the show notes. Please allow me to plug a fundraiser I'm hosting for Sue on Friday, October 13th, and there's going to be another link in the show notes for this because it's a secureactblue.com link. And I know I've donated, AG's donated, super legit. Now, those who live in Philly or South Jersey would be welcome to come, and those who can't afford to help flip a ripe seat are humbly asked to pitch in. As to pop Pet Tax, this is Kermit. Nicknames are Wyatt Derp and Lord Derp Slot. Uh, For him, the, str- <laughs> the struggle to control the tongue is a very real one every single day. I hear you, Derp Slot. Uh, grateful for all your efforts, <laughs> Bean Queens, and thankful that there's a community that appreciates good news in its many forms as an antidote to the crazy and scary shit whirling ever closer. Stay safe and strong. Look at the derpster. Oh, Oh my God.
0: This photo. Yeah, that tongue is legit. (laughs) Wyatt derp. I love it. Thank you so much for that. And we'll have those links in the show notes, uh, like you said, Dana. Next up from Anonymous, she and her. Hello, Beanie Babies. I really hope I'm the first to come up with that one. Uh, Been listening to you for about a year now and treasure your good news segment. And the sanity you bring to the insane news that we're bombarded with in this crazy world. I haven't really had much to share, but I did visit a dear friend in Barcelona recently. I always have to say Barcelona, And snapped this photo for A.G. of, well, not a frog orgy, but frog coupling immortalized on the incredible door of the Sagrada Familia. So, happy day, A.G. In good news, my cat Grissom, who was on chemo meds for eight months, is now cancer-free and behaving like his old self. And so for my pet tax, I'm including photos of my rescue brothers, Grissom and Mohawk, who are nine and torture me with their cuteness every day. They like twinning. Mohawk has the white. And by the way, I tried the box lines, but it was a big N.O. They prefer the real thing. So, yes, we have empty boxes in every room of our apartment. <laughs> Thanks again for brightening our day. Oh, look, it's the tape squares. Nope. nope. Look at how it. cute these kitties are, though. God, you guys have ruined me.
2: Through and through a dog person. And now I'm like, look how cute these kitties are. They're cute babies. They are cute babies. Oh, there's the frogs. Hey, frogos. Thanks. frogos. Speaking of frogos, this is from Jan. Mm -hmm. No pronouns on this. I can't see frogs these days without thinking about you two. (laughs) What have we started? (laughs) I feel like this is not a frog orgy, but a frog begging to be in a frog orgy. (laughs) love you (laughs) and all you do from way back thanks for distilling the news in a way that tells the truth but adds hope and humor your delivery and commentary help to remind me that most people are kind and good and trying to do the right thing most of the time we're not the nation that's the loudest we are not the nation that the loudest excuse me and sometimes most powerful players want us to believe we are
0: Hmm. yeah very true that is a begging to be in an orgy frog yeah it sure is is that an air horn behind the frog? Like, what's going on? Yeah,
2: it does look like an air horn, actually,
0: <laughs> to stop frog orgies. Yes, that's what it is. it Seems like, like the frog orgy police walking around with an air horn. Um. Okay, that was a weird image I just created in my head for myself. Thank you. I hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a long one here, so, um, you know, we're gonna, uh, but you know, we're bringing you the beans anyway because that's what we do. And we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today, Dana? No final thoughts for today. All right. Thanks, everybody. I know it was a long show. Thanks for making it through. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone you know with you. I've been A.G. And I've been D.G. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.
3: Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money